All right, our young people can be dismissed to their children's church. Everybody else, if you turn to Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter 22. The song that uh, Joe just played is my, uh, is my kryptonite song. Um, I uh, was sung at my father's funeral 50, 50 years ago. And for probably <laughs> 40 of the, nec- the next 40 years, every time I heard the song, it made me, I, I had to cry. I just, I just, it was, it's almost like you were hypnotized. It was like one of those, when you hear this, this is what's going to happen to you. And I just bawled all over the place. And, and um, so it's a very, very, very special song for me. I, I've got... Um, uh, I, I think I've shared it with, before with you, but you know, one, under life's most embarrassing moments, um, I, I had, uh, when my father died, when I got the news that my father died, I was the oldest one, I was 17, the oldest in our family, and was determined that I was going to be strong and tough for my mom, and I wasn't going to cry, and so when I first heard the news, I was at college, and I got a lot of crying and stuff out then, and then I got home. And I did not, for like two, three days while they were doing the viewing and all this kind of stuff, I was solid as a rock and, and did not cry in my mom's presence at all. And, and we went to church and we had the funeral and I was sitting in the front here and, and um, uh, Nick and Carol Gresh, um, husband and wife team, he played the guitar, they both sang together, it was kind of like uh, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans type of thing, <laughs> those of you that are familiar with that. And they would sing, they sang the song until then, and I totally lost it. Uh, Johnstown has had three floods and then one inside a building. Um, I, it was, um, I, I was like uncontrollable. And so, not knowing that that was my kryptonite, a few months later, uh, College, I was a college student, and I was in a church that was having a revival, and uh, uh, sitting about halfway back, and uh, the invitation song was Until Then. <laughs> Man, I, I totally lost it, just crying uncontrollably. And the, and the gentleman says, well, I can see that God's working on the hearts of people out here, and... Uh, we're going to sing another verse. And I'm like, oh, please, not another verse. <laughs> and they sang another verse. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, it just, and, and he says, oh, yeah, you know, if you need to come forward, you know, come on, we're waiting for you. Let's sing another verse. And I'm like, oh. You know, and I'm, so finally, he walks back to where I'm sitting. And I said, just, he says, can I help you? I said, please just stop singing. <laughs> I, said, just, I said, I am perfectly fine. Just stop singing. He goes, oh, okay. I'm like, I'm like, so the Lord was really convicting me that day that there are too many verses to that song <laughs> is, is what I was being convicted of. Um, so anyways, Luke chapter 22. I, I, again, I, I know this sounds repetitive to you, 
But uh, this, this week I saw something that I've never seen before. And, and again, it kind of shocks and surprises me every time it happens because I, I think I should have seen this, I should have noticed this, and maybe I noticed it and forgot it. And, but there is something in this passage that has been hiding from me for a long, long time, and it makes everything makes more sense, okay? And from the standpoint of been pretty hard on those disciples who fell asleep while Jesus was praying, I'm not going to be hard on them anymore. And I'll explain this as we go through. We're in the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. That's the tease, and now we have the commercial one come back. Um, the last week of, we're in the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, the Pharisees want Jesus dead. And so Jesus says, I am leaving. But he says, stop letting your hearts be troubled. He's worried about the, 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 he's worried about the fact that these other people are worried. Uh, and he says, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Believe me, this is all going to turn out well. We win in the end. Uh, believe me, I'm preparing a place. I, I will come back. You'll be with me forever. My father's going to send you another comforter, and one like unto myself, and the, the devil isn't winning. In a little while, things are going to get really, really bad, and you're going to hurt a lot. But then in a little while, I'll return, and you'll have unspeakable joy. Don't be troubled. Don't waver. Don't get up. I, I, I give up. I want you to have peace. I have overcome the world. And then Jesus, to top it off, prays with and for his disciples, trying to get them to have this sense of comfort. And he says, Father, keep them faithful. Keep them in unity. Protect them. Use truth to set them apart. Father, you sent me into the world, and now I'm sending them. They need to be in the world, not of the world. And then... I took you to Luke 22, didn't I? Well, that's where I want you to be. Um, then Jesus prays for future believers. And he prays for us, and he prays that they might have unity one with another. He said that they might be unified one with another and that they might be unified with us. And that they have a unified message. The message would be that there is one way. And he says, I want the world that the world would see God and Jesus in them. And that's stuff like we still talk about, the fact that when we go out into the world, that the, the people of the world might see the Lord Jesus Christ in us, that they might see that there's something different about us, that God is present, Christ is present, that the world might see that God and Jesus is in them, that the world might see God's love for the believer. And there's a statement there where he says, God loves us as much as God loves his son. And then he says, I pray that they might be with me. Same prayer that he had for the disciples. You know, I go to prepare a place. I want them to be with me. I want them to see my glory. I want them to love the lost the way that I do. 
Well, as Jesus prays, it says they sung a hymn and then they went out. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, as his custom was, and again, this is why Judas, even though Judas is not present, is able to lead the people exactly to where Jesus is because this is what, you know, this is what we've done in the past. This is where we've gone before to spend the time in prayer and so forth. About a half mile east of Jerusalem to the Garden of the Olive Press. And now as they approach there, now it's Jesus' heart that's troubled. He spends most of the time in the upper room, let not your heart be troubled. I'm telling you these things, I'm giving you this information so you'll be at peace. I've overcome the world. It looks like the bad guys are winning, they're not. And then now it's Jesus' soul that is troubled. Uh, He comes and he tells the eight, sit here while I go yonder to pray. And then he takes Peter, James, and John and and tells them, pray that you enter not into temptation. And in the Greek, it's that you enter not into temptation, not even once. And you wonder, how many temptations are they going to face through that night? How many different times is the devil going to be, you know, messing with the disciples on that particular evening? He says, pray that you do not give into temptation, no, not even once. And it says it was observable to the disciples that Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful. And then he tells them straight out, he says, I am sorrowful. I am very heavy, exceedingly sorrowful unto death, greatly amazed, sore troubled. And then he leaves the three, Peter, James, and John, and goes off a stone's cast away. And then we see the picture that... (laughs) People have hanging all over the place. And then we see the calm Jesus kneeling down at the rock, praying to his heavenly father with the, you know, the, the, uh, the halo glow stuff all around him. And he's praying, okay, I believe that's extremely incorrect. Because it says that when Jesus went off from the three disciples about a stone's throw, it says he fell on the ground. He fell on his face, and then again in the Greek, it's he repeatedly, time and time again, fell on his face, over and over again. Uh, he knelt down, he fell down, he f- fell on his face. He's restless, he's wrestling, he's in battle, he's in torment, he's struggling, changing positions, and as we see Jesus struggling over this, this is not a, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, if I should die before, this is agony in prayer. This is animated prayer. This is, he's, he's all over the place. And again, if he's a stone's throw away from the disciples, can they see him? Well, it's dark, and they don't have floodlights in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he's a stone's throw away. Depends on who's throwing the stone. Um, you know, Vince throws it, then it's in you know, some other county. I throw it, and it might make it to Vince. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Stones throw. Uh, they're not far from Jesus. And he's in agony and he's, and he's wrestling with this prayer. And then again, you have to kind of ask yourself, how, you know, what's going on here to the point where this is such agony, uh, such torment? And then the content is, again, Mark says, Mark records, if it were possible. Uh, that this hour might pass away from me. Oh, Abba, Father, my dear, sweet, precious Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup. Matthew says, if it be possible, let this cup pass away. 
Luke says, if thou be willing, remove this cup. And all three come back with Jesus saying, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Not my will, but thine be done. And I suggested to you, that's how every one of our prayers should end. No matter what you pray for, no matter how intense you pray. And, and by the way, I, you know, <laughs> one of the reasons that the Bible talks about praying in your closet and praying, you know, this kind of thing is because I, I think if you're really praying like you're supposed to be praying, um, it takes some effort. <laughs> it takes some struggle. You sometimes talk out loud. <laughs> sometimes you're, you know, you're, you're voicing like, oh God, please, please, Lord. And it's the agony of your spirit that, you know, and, and when we pray with other people, we just pray different. Uh, we, it, it's, it's wonderful if you can pray with other people and, and blot out the fact that they're there and just pray to God, but most of the time we're pretty conscious of the people around us. <laughs> And we kind of tone down or tame our prayers so that it sounds good to other people that are listening. Jesus didn't care. He prays in an agony. He prays and he ends the prayer with not what I want, but what you want. And now in Luke 22, look at verse number 39. Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. This is again a continuation of the same story, but I'm going to pick it up here. It says, as he, and I want you to remember something else too. Uh, Luke is um, not one of the disciples. Uh, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, the, the, the four books here, the four gospels, and I said that <clears throat> Luke is a synoptic gospel along with Matthew and Mark. Matthew was a disciple. Mark, I believe, was a very, very young man when Jesus was on earth and was good friends and close friends with Peter and got most of his information for his gospel from Peter. Luke gets most of his information historically. He is a historian. He is a physician as well. And of course, a writer. Uh, he writes more of the New Testament than anybody else. You would think that answer should be Paul, but it is not. The words in Luke and the book of Acts, there are more words there than in all the writings of Paul put together. And so that's <laughs> that says something. And then, of course, John is one of the disciples, and he's going to write from personal experience as well. But I want you to see the Dr. Luke part of things as Luke includes some things that nobody else does, okay? Came to pass, verse 39, and he came out, and he went as, it, as he was wont, or as his custom was, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him there. And when he was at the place, uh, which would be Gethsemane, he said unto them, pray that you enter not into temptation. And then he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Okay, so once again, this confirms the other part that talks about the fact that he prayed and he fell down on the ground and repeatedly and so forth. Uh, he is agony prayer so much so that an angel has to come to him. As he was wont, a stone's throw, an angel is sent from heaven to strengthen him. Um, angels are, by definition, ministering spirits. 
This is only mentioned by Luke, but at the same time, I want you to think back in our study and what we've talked about before. Angel came to minister to Jesus. Has that happened before this event? Somebody say yes. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right. When? All right. Wilderness temptation. It says after three temptations are recorded for us, but it was 40 days, 40 nights without food, being tempted of the devil in the wilderness, led there by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. When the whole thing was over, angels came and ministered unto him. Think about that. Two awesome events. The devil leaves and angels come. <laughs> it's like, he's gone. And then angels came to minister to him. I think, even though it is not recorded here anywhere, but any of the Gospels is recorded. But guess where I think the devil is? I think the devil's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Guess who's causing all this turmoil? Guess who's causing all this struggle? And again, what is necessary is actually an angel to come to help him. Now, this almost sounds like we're weakening Jesus in some level, because Jesus is God. Does he need angels to help him? No. But yes. It says they came to help him. He's in agony. He's in, what kind of physical agony? Yes, I think so. And we can prove this by the next couple of verses. Spiritual agony, yes, because he's omniscient. He knows what's coming. You know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, so much, so much, you know, sometimes we think in our brains, you know, boy, I wish I knew the future. Careful about that wish. <laughs> I think most of us, if we're really super, super honest and you think this thing through, I'm glad God has not shown us the future. I'm glad we don't know what comes next. You realize the agony you would have as you were approaching an event that you dreaded and feared and the agony that would take place as you anticipated, oh, this is the day that such and, you know. And this is what Jesus is going through. He's omniscient. He knows all this stuff. He knows everything about what's going to take place. He knows everything about what it's going, uh, what, what's going to happen on the cross. And the darkness and his father, you know, <laughs> uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knows all of the spiritual stuff. He knows all the physical stuff. He knows this separation that's going to take place that has never taken place before. And so what he does is he prays more earnestly. It says that uh, he being in agony, prayed more earnestly. The Bible says in, in James chapter 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And instead of sweat coming through the pores of Jesus' skin, it was blood that came out through the pores of Jesus' skin. Great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now this concept, I'm, I'm not fully understood until I've had this recent heart procedure and they've stuck me with this uh, blood thinner called Brelinta. Um, <laughs> a couple days ago, the microwave door was open 
I scratched my arm on the microwave and I, and I needed to get a tourniquet and 17 stitches. Uh, it's unbelievable. That's an exaggeration in case you're wondering. Uh, or I, I'm cutting grass and a branch scratches my arm. And I look and I go, oh, there's blood everywhere. And, and it's like, this is crazy. I scratch my face and it bleeds for a week. And I'm like, this is, this is insane. The blood is pouring out of Jesus. He's in such agony, such stress. And, and again, if, I, I want you to understand this. Because it's going to, the, the second part, when I tell you I'm going to show you something I hadn't seen before, I, it's important that you know that Jesus is animated in his prayer. He's in agony in his prayer. And, and this is to the point where the stress and the, ugh, so much as he's doing battle is so much that instead of sweat popping out, and, and we work ourselves up, we work ourselves into a sweat. He worked himself into a bloody sweat where blood literally pours out uh, from his skin. And I want you to think about this one for a minute. Because we talk all the time about the blood of Jesus. You know, that sheds, you know, the blood of Jesus was shed for the remission of our sins. This is the first time that it mentions any blood being shed of Jesus. This is the first time. Because normally you think, oh, the blood shed on the cross. I'm going to share with you, he lost a lot of blood before he got to the cross. He sweats, as it were, great drops of blood. Later, he's going to stand. As a matter of fact, there's eight times from this point on in the next, basically, next chapter and a half. Eight times where it mentions the fact that Jesus lost blood. He is taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, stands in the presence of the high priest, and is then struck in the face by the high priest's servant. He then goes to the Romans and to Pilate, and they, they beat and whip him in the back. They cover his face and punch him and buffet him in the face, and you know nose and lips and all that. Then there's the crown of thorns placed on his head. Then there's the spikes in his hands and the spikes in his feet and the spear in his side. <laughs> is it just the blood on the cross that saves us? Or is it the whole package of blood? Sweat became great drops of blood. Only Dr. Luke mentions this, and it's called hemothydrosis. Hemothydrosis. The physical trauma of Christ begins at Gethsemane with one of the initial aspects of his suffering, the bloody sweat. It's interesting that the physician in the group, of course, St. Luke, is the one who mentions this. He says, and being in agony, he prayed the longer, and his sweat became as drops of loose blood trickling down upon the ground. Though very rare, the phenomena of uh, hemothydrosis, or bloody sweat, is well documented. Under great emotional stress, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can break, thus mixing blood with sweat, 
Uh, this process alone could have produced marked weakness, or weakness and possible shock. He said, I am in agony. If you remember the earlier thing, I'm in agony. And he talks about, I'm, I'm exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Jesus could feel it in himself that this was life-threatening stuff, physical, human, life-threatening stuff. Now, his sweat, as it were, verse 44, was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And he rose up from prayer. Round one is over. He rose up from prayer, and when he was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. That is the point that I have never seen before. Mine has always been those sorry, good-for-nothing disciples. <laughs> they see. They know Jesus in pain. Jesus tells them he's in agony. Jesus tells them that he's all, all upset and, and, and he's exceedingly sorrowful in his spirit. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. And then he comes back and says, oh, you couldn't even pray for an hour. Oh, those sorry disciples because it's like, oh, well, they were tired. They were exhausted. It was a long day. And they, you know, it's like they, they saw this, but they really didn't care. It's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. Why are they asleep? It says they were sleeping for sorrow. They themselves, as they watched, as they're in agony in spirit of themselves, because here's the one that we love and we, we admire, and, and he's the Christ, and, and, and we can see and we can hear that he's struggling with prayer, and he's struggling, and he's in agony, and they see him suffer, and they're suffering from within. And if you have ever, ever, ever experienced this, where a loved one you know is, is suffering, or somebody is in agony, and it hurts you while you're watching them, it's like, ugh, pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and, and what happens is that finally you just become exhausted. And they literally were asleep out of exhaustion. They literally, if you please, cried themselves to sleep worried themselves to sleep, fretted, it's like, and, and we have times where you, you, you know, we, we may be up half the night because we're worried about something and we're in prayer for something, something for our kids and for our, or our grandkids or for something else and we're, we're all upset and we, we're praying and we're on our knees and we're talking to God and, oh God, and I, and I can pray through the night and then finally what happens is you just, you're wore out. You are physically just flat out, worn out, and it's not that you want to sleep. You just sort of collapse in sleep. I will never, ever again think of the disciples, at least Peter and John, James and John, in the category of it was no big deal to them, so they just went to sleep. Because it says here they were sleeping for sorrow. Prolonged sorrow wears a body out. And you're going to see this is going to fit too because the very next thing it's going to say when Jesus talks to him, he says, the spirit is willing, but the what? Flesh is weak. All these years. And now it all makes perfect sense. It all makes perfect sense. Because they're prolonged, they get too tired. 
uh, too tired to care. No, that is not the problem. They're overpowered by their master's grief. It's their own sorrow and his sorrow, and, and he's just got to stop worrying. Uh, you know, you know, you know don't, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. And then they, then they see this, and they go, oh, my goodness. When have they ever seen Jesus like this before? When has Jesus ever gone through this type of pain, this type of agony, before anything ever happens? It says, literally, it's translated, they were asleep from grief. They were asleep from grief. <laughs> Sleeping for sorrow. And he said, and then why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Repeating the same thing. Why don't you go to Matthew 26, please. Turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse number 40. Matthew 26, 40 says, He cometh unto his disciples, and he finds them asleep. And he said unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? And again, I think it's interesting that he speaks to Peter. I will never deny you. I'm going to stand firm. He says, Peter, you're, you're asleep. Can't you do this even for a short amount of time? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's talk about Peter's spirit for a minute. I will never deny you. Give me a sword. Now, you can worry about the others, but you don't have to worry about me. No, I, no they, I'm not going to let them take you. I, I'm willing to die for you. Is there anything wrong with Peter's spirit? Man, there's nothing wrong with Peter's spirit. There is nothing wrong with his spirit. But the flesh is weak, and I think I, I almost need to categorize this for you just a little bit. The flesh is weak when it comes to spiritual things. The flesh is strong when it comes to carnal things, okay? And, and what he's implying is, like, my spirit wants to do right, but my flesh and my physical part... Not so much. They don't have that same strength. They don't have that same urge. And their urge, their tendency, is to do the opposite. So it's almost like the spirit is willing, but the flesh sometimes is stronger. It's weak in regards to spiritual things. It is not weak in regards to other things. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This information Jesus gives is not for an excuse but it is a fact, and it's something that we need to remember all the time. You tell yourself, well, what would I do if, if? If I was in this circumstance, what would I do? I would like to think <laughs> that given a certain situation, I would, I would act bravely. I would act nobly. I, I, would, I, would, you know, I, I would like to think those things would be true. If, if I was called upon to, to die for our Lord, I would do it with honor and dignity and would 
boldly, I would like to think that. (laughs) That's what my spirit wants to do. Don't overestimate your ability to resist sin. Don't, it says over and over to them, pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray that you enter not into temptation. And in Peter's mind, he's going, I don't have to pray. I don't have to worry about this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. Peter, pray. The devil wants to sift you like wheat. Pray that you enter not, not even one time into temptation. This is good. I don't need to pray about this. I got this. I got this. And Jesus says, Peter, your spirit's really good. Your spirit is willing. But don't forget your flesh. Your flesh is weak in regards to spiritual things. It's not going to help you any. Matter of fact, it's going to work against you. Sometimes we think, man, you know, I've been a believer for X number of years. This, this isn't a problem. This isn't a temptation for me. I, I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I'm a, I'm a pastor. Oh, I, I, I've been to Bible college. Oh, I, I, I attend a Christian school. I, I head up the Bible club uh, in our school. I'm, I'm a youth group leader, and, and I help out, and I, I'm a missionary, and uh, I'm a Sunday school teacher, and my name's Peter. And I, I would never, I would never and then there's a thing called peer pressure. And there's a thing called addiction. How strong are these things? For fear or for pleasure, our flesh fights against our spirit. Sexual temptation. The brain knows, the heart knows. There's a desire to do what's right. When my wife and I were in Bible college and I, we were dating, they had all kinds of rules at the school about dating and physical contact and things of that nature. Didn't like it at the time at all. Uh, and um, I remember going home and inviting my girlfriend to come home with me, and we're sitting on the couch holding hands, and my mom goes, oh, cut that out. Don't you get enough of that? And I'm like, mom, we, we cannot touch or hold hands at school. There's rules against that kind of stuff. She goes, oh, I know you don't follow those rules. Vote of confidence. She birthed, she birthed me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. But i tell you what I do remember. As our relationship grew, I remember praying with her before the date started. Dear Lord, help us to have a great time tonight. Keep us safe. Help us not to do anything that would be displeasing in your sight. And then sometimes during the course of the date, um, I I think I need to take you home. (laughs) I 
it's not in our best interest. I need to take you home. One of the hardest things. I, I have never had any trouble with alcohol, never had any trouble with cigarettes, never had any trouble with drugs. But as far as I know, that is the most difficult thing that I have ever, 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 ever faced. Because what my brain said was one thing. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a Bible college student. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, this is wrong. We cannot do this. This is be inappropriate. This is just wrong on every level. Cannot, will not, we will not, and we purpose in our heart, we're not going to. And then all of a sudden it's like, Whoo. wow. Because the flesh is not on board with this. My brain and my heart and everything's given, everything it's got to this. I, it is willing, it is eager, it is ready, but it's, it's, it's not working out so good. It's not giving me any help. And so when he says the flesh, spirit is willing, don't let, he says the spirit is willing, don't let the flesh win. Don't let it win. And there's all kinds of different things that, that can, can fit into this category. Galatians talks about there's a warfare that's going on. I, um, I don't know if it's, well, let me, let me, now that you got that one, let me, let me, Joseph, Potiphar's wife. Everybody is gone from the house. The servants, the, the good man of the house, he's gone and he's taking a bunch of money with him. He's going to be gone for days and maybe weeks. Come lie with me. And Joseph goes, ah. <laughs> What's he do? Because he knew the flesh was weak, he ran. He ran. I, I, I got to get out of here. And sometimes that's what it takes. Just I, I need to get a different place. I need to go to a different place. I need to do something completely different. I need to change my uh, whole outlook on this. I, I, something's happening. I'm running from this. If I stay here, it's not going to be good. Samson stayed in the presence of Delilah. How'd that turn out? Joseph ran. Joseph ran. Samson thought, man, I can handle this. Joseph knew he could not. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. Because Joseph understood this. Samson did not. And let's just put all this, if we put all this stuff together here, even Jesus, Jesus is telling them, and, and it makes so much sense, you, you want so much. Your spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You've fallen asleep. But let's take it back to his agony himself. I think maybe more than any other passage in all of Scripture, we actually get to see a little bit of the humanity of Jesus here. Oh, we, I know he ate and he was tired and he was hungry and all those kind of things, and he walked and all that. But here the Spirit is willing, Father, not my will but thine be done. But he's also in flesh. And so much in anger. It's my flesh is oozing out blood. It's like, ah. Uh, as the battle continues. If you're watching something you shouldn't be watching, 
turn it off. You're in a movie, walk out. Take her home. Walk away. Spirit is willing. Good intentions. Godly intentions. But the physical is weak in regards to spiritual things. Fear of danger. What's going to happen to the disciples? The crowd comes. Jesus is going to tell me, let my, let my disciples go. And they will go. They will flee. They will stay hidden. The Spirit is willing. And this is what, this is what Peter's going to be kicking himself about. <laughs> I told him, I, I, didn't, I didn't think I would. I, 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 I thought I would stand for him. I didn't think I would deny him, but I did. And, and he kicks himself and kicks himself and kicks himself over and over and over again because I, I, I thought I had this. I, I, I thought I, I, I because, my, because I knew what was right and, and, and I had this. And don't underestimate your ability to resist temptation. Pray for supernatural strength. He tells them to pray and pray and pray. And what is Jesus doing? He's praying and he's praying and he's praying. Even an angel came to help him through this. Verse 42, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again. And prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he comes to his disciples, as in a hospital room. Uh, wake up, wake up. Okay, now you can go back to sleep. Uh, sleep on now. Take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And the third time he wakes him up to tell him to go back to sleep. Uh, <laughs> I've been there, done that. The hour is at hand. It is interesting. The three times again is an interesting thing. Paul prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed, and God said, My grace is sufficient. Jesus prays three times. Take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. From this point on, from the agony in the garden of this bloody sweat and the, and, and, the, and the restlessness and all that took place, and as the disciples, I believe the disciples observed Jesus in agony and torment, and, and it just wore them out <coughs> watching him <coughs> go through all of this. From that moment when he comes back the third time, he is calm. He is in control. And he is, you know, it, it, it's been, um, he's confident. From this point on, it never talks about his soul being exceedingly troubled. And it's interesting this way as well. Did God the Father answer Jesus' prayer? If you stop partway through, 
take this cup away? The answer is no. God did not. He said no. He said no to his own son. But as Jesus ends it with thy will be done, that's exactly what happened. And so did the prayer work? Jesus did not get the answer that he was hoping for. But prayer worked because he leaves that place with a calm, comforting, confident spirit. Because of the time he spent with his father. Prayer sometimes, you know, when we talk about prayer changes things, it's prayer supposed to change us. It's supposed to change us. Thy will be done. The disciples, eh, not such bad guys after all. <laughs> I think they were exhausted because Jesus was exhausted. And they didn't know what was going on. Grief and agony and unknowns and just worry and wore them out. Just wore them out. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word today. Father, I thank you for Jesus' willingness to do the will of his Father. And even though the physical part of things, the fleshly part of things, would looking for some other way out. In Jesus' case, the Spirit was willing and the Spirit was strong. And we thank you for that. Father, help us not to underestimate the devil. Help us not to overestimate our ability to resist. May we not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. May even though we have good, godly intentions, may we realize that the flesh has no intention to help spiritually. May we seek you for strength. May we seek you for help. May we run from situations of temptation that will just lead to, uh, to more control and to more, um, more disaster. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to our hearts. Help us during the Sunday school time that we would continue to learn more. Help us grow in our relationship with you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factorievillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.